All right, Ruth chapter 3. So we've been going through Ruth, and um, it's one of those, that, those books that you could just sit and you could study uh, really for, I'd give it a year, right? A year of just some thorough study, right? Like not just casually reading it, but really studying it and seeing a lot of the um, intermingling of the Old and New Testament and some of the, the depictions of our Savior, Jesus, our Redeemer, um, and how Ruth had a Redeemer here, and, and how Ruth represented uh, the Gentiles and being a, a foreigner, being unclean, being outside of God's people, outside of God's land, and how we, the Gentile people, are also redeemed by the blood of Jesus, by grace, through faith in Him. So there's a lot that you can, you can really uh, go on and, and look at. Even uh, went to Tuesday's group, which, by the way, groups are, I think, on a break. Anybody's group meeting this week that I don't know about? Tuesdays. Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys are having another party. So party on Tuesday. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I told uh, Nelson. He said, we're, ha we're having a group party on Tuesday. And I was like, two parties in three days. You guys are some animals, right? Like, those are, those are some real Baptist folks. They just want to meet and eat. And, um... So anyways... I go there on, on Tuesday, and one of the things that uh, his group uh, was studying actually came out of Ruth chapter 2, and how Boaz even said to Ruth, like, you've given it all, may the Lord repay you because you've left it all behind, and may it, may it be um, paid back to you, because she lost everything. And I was sitting there, and I was like, man, that's something that I didn't even think about, that, that when, we, when we follow Jesus, right, we forsake everything that we knew. Our whole old life is, is dead, right, as it was, as, as it was when Jesus met us, but we've been given new life, and we leave it all behind, and we're given this new life in Christ to go and live as he has called us to live. There's so much to be studied here. So much to be thankful for the Lord for, even through this text. We pick up here in Ruth chapter 3, and we see uh, redemption begin to, to start to unfold, right? It's been unfolding. God's been working behind the scenes. It seems like Naomi and Ruth have this, this scheme to be redeemed, but indeed it's the Lord using his word and his covenants and everything that he has ordained to redeem these people and to give us a hope and give them a hope in the coming Messiah which in this season we, we look back and remember and remember what Jesus came to do. Before we dive into God's word this morning, church, let's just be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, we thank you for this morning that we have together to, to gather in your name and in the presence of one another. So thankful, God, just uh, want to thank you right now for our kids and the teachers that are investing in their life and uh, the love and the grace and the mercy they're showing them and, and, and pouring into them. And Lord, I pray that you would be with them now as they're, they're learning from your word. God, that you would draw them to yourself. And God, uh, their parents in here uh, would, would remember that calling that you've placed on them. That, that we here are to assist one another. But it's us as the parents' job to disciple our kids, to train them in the Lord, and to teach them the word. God, and I pray that our church family would hear that and bear the responsibility of holding each other accountable and caring for one another, being there for one another, exhorting one another and the truth of your word to lead these kids. Lord, as we look to Ruth chapter 3, I pray that we would be reminded that the gospel changes our life. That the old us is dead. That it's passed away and behold, the new has come. And I pray that you would remind us of what, what newness of life, newness of life in Christ Jesus looks like. That we are to be selfless, submissive, and sanctified here and now by the power of your spirit. 
Father, we, we gather in uh, the name of Jesus this morning to glorify you and exalt our Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we progress through uh, Ruth chapter 3, I want us to see that the gospel is doing something, right? So what does the gospel do? The gospel leads us in a selfless, submissive, and sanctified life. That's our main point this morning. The gospel leads us in a selfless, submissive, and sanctified life. I put surrendered up there because I was going back and forth, uh, synonyms here, surrendered, that we are surrendering to the gospel. We're surrendering ourselves, right? It's no longer about us. We live uh, in a submissive manner to our God. And it's because of the gospel, right? A lot of us would be like, yeah, we should live a changed life, which is what sanctified is, set apart, right? We would say uh, submissive, that we're submitting to something greater than ourselves and even selfless, but it all starts with the gospel, right? We can, we can seek after um, a selfless life, submissive life, and sanctified life, but if we have not been met by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, then none of these things will happen, or if they do by chance, it would be in vain, So it's the gospel that is changing us. It's the good news that we have a redeemer who gives us hope that we have life in him and him alone. Point number one, the gospel leads us in a selfless life. You see, most people have some kind of understanding, right, of of a selfless life, right? That that being selfish isn't okay. I didn't grow up in a, a, a Christian home, per se. We had some morals like this, like don't be a selfish Brother, don't be a selfish son, right? I had um, a brother who was six and a half years older than me, um, and I learned, definitely learned that quickly from him and my nature. Just we, we see this. This is like one of the first things that pops out in children, right? Like I look at my, my five and two-year-old, and I'm like, who did you learn that from? Oh, you learned it from your sin nature. Like That's just something that you have. Like my two-year-old wants to, to hog the cereal, and I mean, like, really hog the cereal, not get her own bowl, and she's okay with Maylee having a bowl. She wants all the cereal, right? Like, Maylee will leave her bowl, and she'll go start eating from her bowl. Don't judge me, right? Like, I know some of your old kids be sharing food, too, and that's how my child is, especially the youngest. And she goes over there, and she starts eating from the bowl, and Maylee's like, I went to get, like, water. Like, she's eating out of my bowl. So Maylee will go to take it back from her because it's rightfully hers. It's her cereal, and Ev just gets mad. She, no, like just yanks it back from her. And I'm like, guys, there are two bowls here. Like this, this selfish attitude is like not okay. Like it's crazy. And this is something that, that we know as, as parents and as, as just human beings, we know that we shouldn't be selfish. And even though we know it's not okay to be selfish, it's one of our greatest battles in this life. Amen. Right? Like we, we learn that with our friendships, uh, with our marriages, our relationships, spouses, um, everything that we do as, as parenting, right? Like I'm selfish um, of my own time, right? And I'm telling my kid, like, no, you go play on an iPad, go lay in your bed. Like this is dad's time right now, right? We find a way to be selfish in all these instances. And the, the reason we're talking about uh, how the gospel leads us to a selfless life is because we see that here in the first three verses with Naomi. Naomi had a name change, which was bitter. Because Naomi found that in her current situation, her current life stance, that that she was bitter because of the things that had been dealt to her. And we could look and we could say, you had a right to be bitter, right? Like in our own selfish way, yeah, I would be bitter too, right? And she took her eyes off of God's word. She became bitter because she was not trusting in the hope that was found in the Redeemer, namely Jesus. 
not simply Boaz. But we see here that something has changed. You see, at the end of chapter 2, Ruth comes back and tells Naomi that she's uh, found a blessing in this man Boaz. She was in his field, and not only did he let her stay in the field, right, being a foreigner and everything, we saw that he blessed her. He fed her. He, the master, was serving her. We saw that that was a picture of Christ, who, though being God, found in human form, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. In the form of a servant, he served us. He was obedient, even to the point of death, death on a cross. We saw that, and then something changes. Naomi says at the end of chapter 2 to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it says, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young, uh, his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. Harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Then, in chapter 3, so Naomi's seen and heard all of the, the things that are going on. It seems that, that they are beginning to prosper, not simply in the uh, materialistic things, but in the spiritual things too, that, that their basic needs are being met, and there's hope just around the corner. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing bar, uh, barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. See, Naomi is no longer bitter. She's no longer acting out of bitterness. She's no longer living in bitterness. She's not simply thinking of herself anymore, but she's thinking of Ruth. Now remember, Ruth, a foreigner. Not used to Bethlehem, not used to the Israelites, not used to, to the law of God. Has forsaken everything she knew to go and to care for Naomi and, and turn to Yahweh. And she finds herself there leaving everything she knew to be with Naomi, who is now bitter, right? We talked about how like bad that, that must have been. Like in-laws are tough, and then a bitter one is even more difficult. It's just the two of you. Naomi's not helping her out in the field. She doesn't offer to go out into the field and help meet their basic needs. She's bitter. She's just caught up in her situation. She's, she's, she's posting on Facebook about how terrible again that, that week was instead of seeking help and seeking the truth and seeking the comfort from God's word. Now she's no longer acting in bitterness. She's not thinking of herself. She's thinking of Ruth. Look at what she says. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, it's interesting. Like, should I not seek rest for you? She's not saying, do you want me to go buy you a Tempur-Pedic bed so you can get some good night's sleep? Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 9. It says, the Lord grant that you may find, what church? Rest. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. So there was this connection that this rest would be found for them in the house of their husband, who they would find protection and care and, and love from. Now this next connection is that, that Naomi wants to help her find that redeemer also. 
That Naomi's leaving the bitter, selfish way that she had had found and, and driven herself to. To seek out the interests of Ruth. Naomi's leaving it behind. And do not think that Naomi is taking God's responsibility into her own hands, right? Like the first part, she says, the Lord grant you. Now she's like, let me do it, right? Like sometimes we're like, I got to take this into my own hands. Like God's not doing anything. That's not what's going on. Naomi is actually taking his word and being diligent as she should have been before, right? We talked about diligence um, in the past couple of weeks. That, that Ruth last week was diligent. They had a need. They found themselves in a miserable situation. But if you find yourself in a miserable situation, don't have a pity party. Go and do something about it, right? Like, you lose your job. It's okay, I think, to be upset and to be frustrated about it. But when two weeks rolls by, three, four, five months roll by, and you're like, well, you know, they gave me a package when I left, but then that package runs out. you got to go and do something. Naomi needed to go and do something, and now she's doing that. We read last week about the kinsman redeemer, which comes from God's word, right? Like, finding Ruth a redeemer wasn't something that they were just hopeful for, right? Like, hey, Ruth, if you go and you hang out in the field long enough, you're, you're sure to find a man, right? Like, just go and, like, Put your hair down and like flip it every now and then and you'll get the Israelites like they just love that. Like she's not teaching her in the ways of beauty. She's teaching her in the ways of the Lord. Right. Which is the most beautiful thing that, that Ruth's heart and Naomi's hearts are being changed because of the gospel. Because of God's word. And Naomi saw this. She, she got a taste of it in chapter two that that there is hope that there that that God's word remains True. And this kinsman redeemer comes from God's word. Now she's stepping up and in doing so is seeking out the redemption of Ruth. This is a beautiful picture of Christ Jesus, our Lord, our redeemer. And it's her, her seeing that, seeing God's word, seeing his kindness, seeing his grace, seeing his mercy. That she is seeking out not her own interest, but the interest of Naomi or uh, Ruth, that Ruth could be redeemed also so then she goes on and and she takes uh she gives instructions what does she say it says wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking so she does give her a little bit of some beauty tips right like the the oil would be like you know putting on that clone and that perfume if something that was pleasing Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she gives her some instructions and, and tells her, what she ought to do to go and to seek out this redemption, that, that she could be redeemed, that, that she would no longer be found in this situation. She wouldn't be in, in pity. You see, church, it's the wretched that take refuge in the Redeemer. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel brings us to this place where we seek out refuge, not in our own self, but in our Lord. And we seek out the interest of others. I mean, when we look at, at Naomi turning here to care for her, it shows you that there's something greater. Naomi wasn't guaranteed anything out of this. It wasn't that she was getting a new husband in her older age. 
It wasn't that she was getting this new life. Sure, she was, she was going to be able to have her daughter-in-law, who, who it still mattered. It wasn't like her sons had just died and Ruth just faded off. And she's seeking out her interest that the line would be carried on. And from the line of Ruth comes who? Jesus. This lineage is not there for no reason. Ruth's story is not there for no reason. This is how God cho chose to bring our Lord into the world. And he did it through a selfless manner. Through the act of Naomi caring for Ruth. What does Romans 5, 8 say? Like, when we talk about being selfless, a lot of times we, we think about our, ourselves and the act of thinking about being selfless. But when we look to the gospel, when we look to the cross, it changes our entire perspective about how we serve. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still what, church? Sinners. Christ died for us. Oh, I hear that verse all the time, you might think. And you do. And you should. This verse should be something that we think about every morning when we wake up. That while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. As a believer, that should be a resounding victory cry. That as, as while we were still sinners, Christ died for you, believer. Let this be a great reminder that before we go out and act so selfishly, we remember the selfless act of God that saved us. Christ on the cross. See, being selfish or being selfless, it either shows our, our sin or it shows our Savior. Because when we're acting selfishly, it shows the nature that Christ came to redeem you from. And when you act selflessly because of the gospel and how it's leading you and changing you, then it shows your Savior. See, none of us would sit in here and be like, I saw, you know, Brother Mark or, you know, Michelle, they were acting selflessly this week. They're just good people. No, we, with the right understanding of the gospel, would say, God is using them. Look at them, them, them turning to God and giving their life to God and, and acting selflessly. Paul says in Philippians 2 to count others more significant than yourselves. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition. And you could take that and you could run with it and you could, you could take it way out of context, right? That, that we shouldn't speak truth, we should be kind, we should avoid certain topics. That's not what that means. It means what it means. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but speak the truth in love and grace and mercy. But don't be selfish. No, be submissive. Point number two. The gospel leads us in a submissive life. Being um, selfless comes from submitting yourself or surrendering yourself to something greater. And the only thing greater is God. We submit ourselves to God and to his word, right? We live a submissive life. Amen? Amen. I want to get a, a big amen. amen. Amen? Amen. I'm not saying anything good. I know I'm not. Submissive is something that I'd rather just not be a part of. It's a loaded word. It, it, it is full of responsibility, right? It's impregnated, as, as Pastor Gary would say, with a lot of implications. Trust me, right? It's a, it's a big deal that we live a submissive life. Actually, this is one of those things that, that when we start to talk about marriage, it gets a little bit uncomfortable because then you're saying that wives submit to your husbands. And it's because of the gospel. 
right? It's because marriage is a picture of the gospel, not the other way around. And there's this beauty, beautiful depiction of the gospel in marriages that, that when wives submit to their husbands and the biblical way, this isn't the message for that. You all know our stance on that. We're not saying be domineering husbands. But we're saying be submissive to one another as to the Lord and as the Lord commands. You see, we're not told to submit to anything ungodly. That includes your spouse. We're not told to submit to, to sinful ways and lifestyles. But we're told to submit to holiness. And God's word is holy. Amen? God's word is holy and it calls us to holiness. And it tells us what we ought to do as believers. Ruth was given instructions by Naomi to go and to do something. So she's submissive in, in several ways, right? Verse 5, she replied, all that you say I will do. She's submissive. She surrenders herself to this plan of redemption, which has nothing to do with herself and her ability, but in the Redeemer, Boaz. And then she submits herself to the plan of Boaz. Why? Because the gospel does that kind of thing in the hearts of sinful people. It changes us. It leads us in a submissive life. Right? Like, this isn't something that we wake up one day and like, I love submitting. Submitting is, it, it means that you are, you are giving yourself, you're leaving, right? You're, you're being selfless. You're leaving your old interest. You're dying to your old self to live to a way that you may not completely want to. Right? We talk about this waging war, this battle between flesh and spirit. That's what this is. So when you don't want to do something, it's probably the time to submit, sort of, right? Like there are times where you're not going to want to do something and it's good because you shouldn't because the word says not to do it. But there are times when you're like, I don't like how that feels. It makes my stomach kind of cringe, right? That may be the time to submit. Because it is this waging war, it's this battle between flesh and spirit. What happens here? Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. So there's this interesting time, right, like in the, the barley harvest, that when they were uh, separating everything, they would, they would go up, they would build these like little sheds. And I know I'm botching a little bit of like maybe the, the terminology of the houses and whatever, um, but they had this house or shed-like thing. And it would usually sit on the top of the hill. And what they would do is they would go to separate the grain at night in the evening because that's when the wind would blow through. And they would have windows and they'd be able to, to throw this up and it would take like the stalks, right, and blow them out the window and then the grain would fall back down. It was like perfect. They'd throw it up and the wind, God's creation, would take care of their harvest and it would fall back down. And then usually the person who was on night duty, which was Boaz here, would sleep there to protect their grain. That no one could come in, there'd be no thief in the middle of the night. So that's what he do had done. He had his food, had some drinks. He'd been working hard, throwing stocks up in the air, letting that fly out and the grain fall down. And he went to sleep. And then naturally, he's startled by this. Like, could you imagine? You've been working, had some food. You're in that, like, perfect little zone, right? It says this woman, Ruth, she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. That's when I get kicked, uncovering my wife's feet in the middle of the night, not okay. Even in the middle of my slumber, can't uncover her feet. 
At midnight, what does it say? The man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. So he didn't know who it was at first. We didn't have like little night lights. We didn't say like, Alexa, turn the light on. I need to see this person. He was startled, for there was a woman at his feet. And it reminds me, when I was a kid, I don't know if you all had this with your dads. My mom wasn't like this, but my dad would fall asleep on like a recliner or the couch. And I'm getting there too, right? Like where you just like kind of like crash wherever you finish eating. And my dad would do that, but I would always have questions to ask him because, you know, it's like 7 o'clock. It's not very late. And, you know, you go and you're like hovering over him. You don't want to touch him because that's not good. You don't want to uncover their feet because that's not good either. And then I'm just sitting there kind of like waiting. And my dad would wake up and it never failed. Cocked back, ready to hit. Right? And it's because when, when, you're, when you're asleep... You're the most vulnerable, right? Like, you're just in a state, like, like Aubrey's told me to, like, wake up. She thinks she hears something downstairs, and I'm like, I need a second to process. Like, I'm ready to fight. I'm not ready to move. And it's just, like, one of those just state of minds that, like, you have to put yourself in to, like, think of, like, what's going on. He's about to be proposed to in the middle of the night because his feet were uncovered. It's a startling thing. But what, is, what happens here? He says, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth. Your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. Notice, notice the comfort he's already given. He's already provided for her. He's given her the grain. He's had his, his uh, young men care for her, protect her, right? He's had her, uh, his young women servants to, to look after her and make sure that she stays with them and doesn't go out into the field lest she be assaulted by other men. And now he's giving her this comfort that we, church, find in our submission to the Lord that we have a God who says, fear not, be comforted, for my grace is good. My grace, my word is sufficient. So church, we have nothing to fear in our Redeemer, Jesus. And he speaks word, words as a Redeemer. He says, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. They know that because of her submission. They know that because of her selflessness. Church, how, how does the outside world know us? Like, Ruth has found herself in this new and foreign place. And it says, my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Ruth was known for her obedience, her faithfulness, her submission, her selflessness. And worthy, church, is always tied to God, right? We're not worthy on our own. They knew that she was a godly woman. Like, that, that word is also um, pregnant with tons of implications. That she is a worthy woman, submissive and so, uh, surrendered to God's word and God's plan. And he continues on, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. There's hope, right? Like, she goes, and, and now there, it's true. I am a redeemer, which is great because it's like, Boaz, man, like, what are you thinking? You've got this, this beautiful young woman in your field. She's, she's a worthy woman. You know that you're a redeemer. He clearly knows that he's a redeemer. Ah, yet there is a nearer, a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, 
Then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize her. Right? You don't want to get caught in a promiscuous situation. It wouldn't have looked good. It would have been a bad look. And it shows us here that nothing happened. That they were both worthy people living in submission to God's word. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And she went into the city. Look, he cares for her. He gives her this gift at the end of her visit. She's living a submissive life. I love that he like ends it with a gift, too. Like If you want to make sure that your next visit's a good visit, end your last visit with a gift, right? Like If you end it with a fight... You're going to pick back up the fight, right? Like this shows that, that Boaz cares about Ruth. He doesn't send her away empty-handed. He sends her away with hope that he would be the redeemer and he would be the provider for this woman. Ruth submits herself. See, this is a vulnerable state. She's, she's gone and she's uncovered his feet, which is like a sign of, of a proposal, right? And then she's asked, uh, and he said that, that he's going to protect her, right? That he would take her under his wings, which actually goes back to, to chapter 1 and, and the tie to God, that, that they would take refuge under the wings of God. This is a sign of protection, that he would be the true redeemer. Because a redeemer is not just a friend, a redeemer, redeemer is not just a, a loving person, but a protecting and caring person, God. It reflects the characteristics of God. It gives us hope and a sign of our redemption in Christ Jesus. But Ruth is here in this, this vulnerable state and emptying herself, giving everything she has. She doesn't know the outcome. She can only rest in the hope of the Redeemer. And she, she simply trusted. What does Matthew 16, 24 say? Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Submit, surrender. This isn't do anything. Jesus doesn't say earn your way, do this or do that. This is a submission. Deny yourself, selfless. Take up your cross and follow me, submissive. Look at the beauty of the gospel playing out here in the story of Ruth. James 4, verses 7 and 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James hammers that home. You want to be close to God? Submit to him. You want to get rid of the devil? Submit to God. Flee from the devil. Right? That means don't, don't, ask, don't ask for pagan gods to come down on you. Don't ask to talk to the other realm and world and the spirits that are very real, church. It's not grandma. It's not grandpa. It's demons. You want to be close to God, flee from the devil, submit to God. When we talk about submitting to husbands and wives, when we talk about submitting to church, when we talk about submitting to one another, confessing sin to one another, it's all because of God's word and glorifying God through deed, that what we do in our submission, in our confession, that it is glorifying and God honoring, it's good. And it leads to a sanctified life. Point number three the gospel leads us 
and a sanctified life. When you submit, you'll live selfless, right? Because you submit to God's word, you see the gospel, you take, you take uh, to heart the sacrifice that Christ made on your behalf, and you are sanctified. Now this is a process, right? This is like the already not yet. You are indeed sanctified and being sanctified. You're submitting to this process of sanctification. Everybody with me? Amen. The gospel is leading us in a sanctified life. Look at the story here. Look at what happened with Ruth. It says, and when she came to her mother-in-law, right after staying the night, doing everything that, that Naomi had told her, she comes back to her mother-in-law, and she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. I want to stop. How did you fare, my daughter? Now, this is something that gets lost in translation. Now, this does not mean, I want to make it very clear, this does not mean that we cannot trust. It doesn't mean you get a whole different meaning. It doesn't mean that, right? And we can talk about that, what that means, and what can we trust, and what's totally different. But this is really important to understand. This word and the language here is, who are you? It would be translated, how did you fare? would be, who are you? That Ruth comes back to Naomi and she doesn't recognize her. That Ruth had experienced such a change that she comes back and she's irrecognizable. I remember like getting a haircut. I had this bowl cut when I was a kid and I tried to let it grow out as far as I could. And as before, like flip was like a thing, so it just looked like a mop, right? Like just right here. And a bowl, like all the way around. I've got pictures of it too somewhere. So I could show you guys sometime. You guys are already laughing, so you're probably visualizing the right picture. Uh, it was that funny. But I remember getting it cut, and, and my dad, I came back home, and it's like one of those things. Like, it's like a haircut, right? Like a drastic one like that. My dad's like, man, who are you? Right? Looking different. And these women that had found themselves in this hopeless and helpless situation have now found hope in a redeemer. And they no longer look, live, or act the same. That, that Ruth probably took off in the middle of the night like, i got to trust this, this woman who was just bitter. She's just giving me this plan to go to this guy's house, right? Go to the, the threshing floor and uncover his feet in the middle of the night. I'm going to do what she says, but man, this is kind of crazy. And she comes back, and Naomi's response is, who are you? Who are you? And this is a picture of how the gospel church changes us. That, that does the outside world, we can ask ourselves, is, is am I living a sanctified life? That doesn't mean a perfect life. It means a set-apart life. Set apart for the work of ministry. Set apart for God's glory. Set apart for his purpose. And we can ask ourselves, does, does the world see my Savior through me? Do they see the one who came to redeem me from my wretched state or do they see the, the selfish, petty child Michael? The one that wants to come out every now and then. Or do they see my Lord, my God? How did you fare? Who are you? Hebrews 10, verses 8 through 14 says this. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and in burnt, and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will, 
He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we, uh, and by that uh, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have been sanctified, right? And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And I'll write that passage down and go and read it this afternoon. Hebrews 10, verses 8 through 14. It says that we have been sanctified, and it says that we are being sanctified. So it's an already, not yet. You've been set apart for his glory and for his purpose and for our good. Like God saved you for your good and for his glory and for his purpose. So you were different. That spiritually, we could look at the, the old dead you and be like, man, that was a terrible person. Right? Like, Michael, you were terrible. Now you're terrible, but I see Christ in you. I see hope. I see, I see something different. And it's because of the gospel, church. It's not because we're doing good things. It's not because we're, we're worshiping. It's not because we're singing praises. It's not because we're reading our Bible. It's not because we're praying. It's because we've submitted to God. And we've been saved by grace through faith. We've been sanctified. And we are being sanctified. She asked her, how did you fare? And she tells all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait. Wait, my daughter, until you learn the matter, how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. She knew. And church, let me point out one more thing about this sanctified life. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. Ruth, I don't know if you picked up on it yet. Ruth identified herself as the, the Moabite woman, the woman from Moab, the Moabites, right? She's just this woman from Moab. But in verse 9, when Boaz asks her, he says, who are you? She doesn't say, I am Ruth, the, Mo, uh, the woman from Moab. She doesn't say, the Moabites. She doesn't say that. What does she say? I am Ruth, your servant. Church in Christ Jesus, you've been sanctified, set apart for his service. We are servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. You, maybe you don't like that because it's like another word like submissive. But you're submitting to one thing or the other. Your sin or your Savior. Paul says that, that we were slaves to sin and now we've become slaves to righteousness. So these words should not bother you. They should encourage you and build you up because we can actively submit to God who saved us or we can unknowingly, willingly submit to our sin. One of two things is happening, but it's the gospel that changes everything. Maybe you're wondering like, all right, so how do I start to do this? What do we say? The gospel. It's not by chance that that's the, the start of the point this morning. Like we could say selfless, submissive, sanctified, go and live that kind of life. But look to the gospel. 
Look to what Jesus came to do. In this season, as we think about the birth of Jesus, and we're gonna be celebrating that on Friday. Guess what, church? We really celebrate that every Sunday. And you know what else? We don't have to wait till Easter because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday. We celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection every Sunday. Because Jesus came to redeem us and reconcile us back into a relationship with the Father. And that is good news. And that good news will lead you in a selfless, submissive, and sanctified life. We are servants of Christ our Lord gladly. So church, let's go ahead and stand and let's sing to our Lord this morning. I pray that you all would go out this week and, and serve, be servants, not selfishly, not doing anything and uh, out of selfish ambition, but look to the gospel that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and carry forward that message. And if you've yet to submit your life to Christ, let me tell you that he came to die and do what you couldn't do so that you could live. But as Jesus says, count that cost. Whoever would follow me, right? Deny himself and take up his cross daily. That means to live according to the gospel in a selfless, submissive, and sanctified way. Repent of your sin and believe in Jesus this morning. And it's so easy. Repent and believe now and come and tell one of the pastors later. And we'll celebrate that with you. We'll celebrate what Christ has done in you and through you. And to God be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning that we've had. And as we just continue to reflect on the gospel, we continue to, to think about the coming of our Redeemer and celebrating um, what, what seemed to be set in motion 2,000 years ago, but was set in eternity past. Before the foundation of the world, God, this was your plan. And as we remember, as we remember the coming of our Savior in the form of man, we praise you. We praise you because we know what Jesus went through. We praise you because, because we know that we couldn't do that on our own. We could not live that perfect life. But we, this morning, God, and always, as wretched sinners apart from you, we take refuge in you, our Redeemer. I pray for the one who is hurting this morning, who's going through whatever it might be, just the holiday season. It's, it's life. It's catching up. Pray that they would lay it at the cross. That your spirit would comfort them and lead them. God, that we would love on them and that we would grow together. God, this week, I pray that we would take this mission seriously. Ears are open. People are going to be coming to, to, to our service on Friday that don't know you and don't care about you. But they're here because Mama wants to dress them up and bring them to this formal event. I pray that you would use that formal event and that theme to draw people in and that they would hear this message that sets them free and leads them to a selfless, submissive, and sanctified life. God, be with us. We thank you for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.